Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history through the lens of historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episode 65 and part one of episode 66 of the story of Minglan or This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com or else reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter. Please do leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us to. If you are new to the podcast, please check out our intro to the podcast episode and the intro to the drama episode. Today's podcast episode will be a episode recap, and then we will go on into some history, which we haven't done a whole lot of in the last couple of podcast episodes, and then end with some book differences. In episode 65, we get a bit of a breather after all the craziness of Grandma Sheng's poisoning. She is ultimately okay, and with the timely return of Gu Tingye and Chang Bai, Minglan's brother in particular, Minglan and the Sheng family were able to get justice, somewhat at least, for Grandma Sheng. For those that need a brief recap, Grandma Sheng was poisoned ultimately by the dual hands of Madame Wong and Aunt Kang, the latter being the larger culprit. The Wong side of the family tried to save Aunt Kang from retribution from the Sheng family, but Minglan used everything she was capable of to prevent them from doing so by laying out all the evidence possible to show that it was indeed Aunt Kong who poisoned Grandma Sheng. However, in that time period, because of Minglan's gender, she still was not able to fully prevent Grandma Wong, the Wong family matriarch, from getting her way. Fortunately, Minglan's brother and husband returned, and as a shock to everyone, Chang Bai is on Minglan's side. He decisively decreed that Aunt Kong would be punished for what had happened and even subjected his own mother to heavy punishment. He used his current position at court as leverage to prevent the Wang family from pushing back. Aunt Kong is to be beaten and sent to prison. For the next, uh, or for this podcast episode, we largely tie up loose ends and then turn to the next conflict on the horizon in the form of Molan. We start episode 65 with Minglan finally taking a breather in her husband Gu Tingye's arms. After all the stress of the last few days, she's able to cry safely that everything that's happened to Grandma Sheng is ultimately down to the fact that Grandma Sheng loves Minglan too much. If it weren't for Minglan, Grandma Sheng would not have punished Madame Wong for how Aunt Kong was treating Minglan, which then snowballed into the retaliation in the form of a poisoning that we see today. Elsewhere, Madame Wong is crying in despair as her own son punished her to essentially house arrest in the Sheng family hometown of Youyang for a full 10 years. She is to pray for Grandma Sheng and repent for her crimes there. I'm sorry, the moment the scene turns over to her wailing, uh, I couldn't help but laugh. Fortunately, she has a 
thoughtful headmaid who helps her see that this trip maybe isn't all bad and even agrees to head to Yoyang with Madame Wong. It's with this that Madame Wong finally accepts that what she's done is wrong and will head to Yoyang. Madame Wong was actually very surprised and touched that her headmaid wanted to go with her to Yoyang because Madame Wong said someone who is so used to being in a household like this would not be comfortable in the countryside of Yoyang, meaning that Madame Wong actually understands uh, to be grateful and is kind. So another example of Madame Wong's true character in comparison to her sister, Aunt Kang. Now we turn to one of the most important scenes between Minglan and her father, as Minglan finally calls him out for the absent father he is. Minglan has to ask her father's help in securing Aunt Kang's testimony of what happened from her husband, or I guess a uh, declaration of sorts. Sheng Hong is in his study analyzing a round of Chinese go while concurrently boiling water for tea. Minglan joins him across the table and explains what she needs from him. At first, he does not want to help Minglan talk to Uncle Kong because he thinks Uncle Kong wants nothing more than to divorce his wife, not to send her to prison. But Minglan describes in depth the inner workings of Uncle Kong's household and the forces at play. As Sheng Hong follows her logic, he finally makes the realization that his daughter is not to be trifled with. He tells her that he couldn't figure out how his once obedient daughter suddenly turned into a woman who doesn't blink an eye in the face of violence. But now, after hearing Ming Lan describe everything uh, there is about Uncle Kang's household, he understands. She didn't suddenly turn into this woman. She was always this person. She just hid it very well. As Sheng Hong is pouring her tea from the pot that just boiled, Ming Lan lays it out rather calmly. She never held a grudge against him for his unfair and cold treatment of her. He should be very happy that she has a daughter who does that much for him. As she calmly drinks the bowl of tea in her hands, she states that it is because of him her birth mother was killed by Mistress Lin and that she always deeply remembers those that showed her kindness. The ones that helped her, she will repay with her life if needed. And almost as a threat, she asks her father if he remembers her mother at all, her birthday, her favorite color. He ashamedly turns away from her to fumble through some books and just says he was too busy at the time. She continues saying that she knows more about him than even he knows about himself. She knows that he cares most about the family's prosperity and reputation and does not care about the squabbles in the household. She knows that he is a capable scholar, but is also hypocritical and cold-hearted. He will only take a stance when he has something to gain. Otherwise, he is happy to play both sides. She puts down her bowl of tea and turns to leave, but not before loudly saying that the family should just continue living as they have been. Why ask too much? And asking too much as in, why kind of break this seemingly good calm? After she leaves, her father turns from his position and crawls under his desk to pick up a go piece that was stuck under one of the legs. 
When he attempts to pick it up and fails, he bursts out in tears. I would like to assume that he is ashamed for how he treated Milan and how clearly she saw through all of his faults. Now, this conversation between Minglan and Sheng Hong really stuck out in my mind. It's clear she always held some level of hatred or at least anger towards her father for ultimately causing the death of her mother and the fact that he never really cared about her growing up. I am extremely proud of Minglan because she is now strong enough to stand up for herself in front of her father. He has seen just how capable she is and, can I say, is a little threatened by what she can do. He always thought she was this meek, obedient woman who can easily be pushed around, but now she is mature, clear-headed, and ruthless. I almost get a sense that from this conversation, Minglan is stating that since you know what I'm capable of, don't try to play dumb with me anymore. I know exactly what type of person you are, father, and will not be willing to put up with any more of your falseness. This is also one of those rare instances where a man in this patriarchal society has to look in the mirror to see himself for who he truly is. I don't think Sheng Hong doesn't know that he's the person Minglan described, but has never had it spelled out so clearly uh, of what his faults are. I am glad Minglan was able to say this to his father and moving forward, hopefully he will treat her more fairly. Everything is more or less settled and the men, meaning Gu Dingye and Chang Bai, have to leave the capital because they effectively abandoned their post in returning to help Minglan. With Gu Tingye's return, uh, let's just say he's still super focused on the fact that uh, his wife didn't write to him even though she was faced with the pressure at home. He pointed out to her, look, why did your sister-in-law write to your brother but you didn't write to me? Minglan is still confused as to exactly what he wants from her and she brings up whether Wei Hangzhou is more understanding. Wei Hangzhou is the prostitute that is a close friend of Gu Tingye's. In any case, now Minglan is wondering everywhere what uh, Wei Hangzhou has that she should learn from, even going so far as to ask her grandmother about prostitutes in the capital. It's just some lighthearted fun for now because Gu Tingye questions Chang Bai as to whether or not he was the one to mention Wei Hangzhou to his sister and threatens that if Minglan starts arguing with him over Wei Hangzhou, he will come after Changbai. <laughs> well, it's quite a little bit of fun after all the mess in the last few episodes. Continuing on with the festivities is that now it's time for Dan Zhu's wedding. Dan Zhu is one of Minglan's closest maids who is marrying her, I think distant-ish enough, cousin. Minglan, as her master, was kind enough to host Dan Zhu's wedding at the Marquis Manor and even helped remove her from her class as slave and is now instead a regular citizen. Minglan burns, actually, the slave contract. This is a great honor, and the scene in my mind is very important because it shows how, one, loyalty is rewarded, but two, what it means to be a good master. Minglan treated Dan Zhu very well and wanted her to marry the one she loved rather than stay with her in the Gu family. 
This is what good managers and masters should do. They should not aim to keep you tethered to them, but should want what's best for your growth. Contrast that to how Mulan treated her maid, which was to prevent her from marrying and even Rulan, who was in attendance at the wedding, saying that Milan should have kept her and had Danju marry a dependable steward in the capital instead so she can still rely on Danju. These two women see the maid still as staff or even chattel, whereas Milan sees them as sisters. You'd want your sisters to marry well and be treated well, right? In this wedding, you also see that Danju's wedding outfit and headdress is much simpler than Milan's, which makes sense as she's just a maid. But I find it hilarious that it looks like this uh, wedding outfit is more elaborate than Mulan's outfit when she married. It's very evident that Mulan was very generous to Danju in her dowry as well. Speaking of Mulan, she shows up again after being MIA for quite some time. I'm not going to lie, I'm rather annoyed to see her still hanging around. You know, it's like we just got rid of or think we got rid of an awful Aunt Kong, but now we are reminded that Mulan is still in the picture. Mulan returns to the Sheng family and is muttering to her maid, the one she prevented from marrying, that clearly the Sheng family doesn't treat her like a daughter of the Sheng family anymore because she's being kept in the dark about the comings and goings. Like, duh. <laughs> Given what she's done to marry Liang Han, why would anyone think of including her in any of the conversations moving forward? She heads to the Sheng family where she's rebuffed not only by her sister-in-law, Madame Hai, but also her blood brother, Chang Feng. Now, we haven't seen Chang Feng in like 30, 40 episodes, it feels like, and he's clearly benefited from the removal of his mother and sister's influence. He's married a woman we never actually see on screen, but now has a daughter. He's been more focused on raising his daughter and studying than the drama his sister is focused on, or gossip. Mulan is annoyed that she can't get any more yummy details about Grandma Sheng's illness from Changfeng, but he doesn't care. He's quite happy with where he is at now, and that's a good spot to be. So now we turn to episode 66. Mulan tries her tactics on Sheng Hong to gain some more gossip. I think Ming Lan's telling off work to some degree, but also evidently Chang Bai had prepared his father because Mulan started off with her initial act of playing the victim, that nobody treats her like a daughter of the Sheng family anymore because she's been kept in the dark. Sheng Hong was just about to tell his daughter what happened, but then we see Chang Bai's face pop up as Sheng Hong remembers his son told him that anyone outside of Ming Lan, Ru Lan, and Hua Lan should not know what happened to Grandma Sheng because it would mean that their positions at court could be in jeopardy. And Sheng Hong couldn't have that, could he? The specific name that Chang Bai didn't raise was Mulan, but we all know Chang Bai was thinking about Mulan when he was telling his father to not tell anybody. I will say this is, I think, like <laughs> the only time in the entire drama we have a flashback type scene that was so sudden. So I will say it's rather jarring to see Chang Bai's face just pop up randomly and go into a flashback scene. Regardless, Sheng Hong finally 
finally calls out Mulan for trying to learn the gossip of the family. He even tells her off that she shouldn't come home to learn about the Shung family's comings and goings when her own household is a wreck of concubines fighting each other all the time. He tells her off in a way that she literally has no response because everything she or he said was true. Ah, if only Mingling was there to see it, I think she would have been really happy at the, uh, I guess, the turn her father has made against Mulan, whom he's always had a soft spot for. But Mulan can't just leave it at that, right? As she leaves her father's quarters all upset, she bumps into Xue Yi. She was actually Mistress Lin, so... Uh, Mulan's mom's head mate. Earlier in episode 65 and in this episode, we saw this Xue Yi in a rather poor state. She's crippled now with a bum leg and is left to do the dirtiest of chores. When she brought food to Aunt Kong in episode 65 and Aunt Kong threw the food on the ground, this Xue Yi even ate the rice off the ground. Clearly, she hasn't eaten rice in a long time. And we will talk about this a little bit more later on, but rice was a luxury that Xue Yi now is no longer afforded. That's why she is willing to pick up rice even off the floor. This part of the drama, I'm a little like uh, iffy by because it seems very contrived that it just so happened Xue Yi would be the one to help Mulan and Xue Yi would be the one to kind of uh, stop Mulan for help. but. Xue Yi begs Mulan to try to help her get out of this state. And to contrast just how cold-hearted Mulan is compared to Minglan, whom we saw was very generous to Danju earlier, Mulan completely ignores Xue Yi's begs for help and even just straight up dismisses her, despite the fact that Xue Yi practically helped Mistress Lin raise Mulan. It turns out that Xue Yi was beaten pretty badly after Mistress Lin and Mulan's actions came to light, and Xue Yi currently has no savings. Mulan was about to walk away when Xue Yi offers a trade. Money for information. And that is how Mulan discovers the whereabouts of Aunt Kang. Mulan wants more information about exactly what happened to Grandma Sheng, and here's again where Mulan is just waiting for her comeuppance because... She refers to Grandma Sheng in one of the most derogatory terms. Again, she makes a deal with Aunt Kong that if she is able to help Aunt Kong get out and give her money, Aunt Kong will tell her exactly what happened in the Sheng family. And so, we see Xue Yi causing a fire in the Sheng family kitchens. In the commotion, she helps Aunt Kong slip away, but only after Aunt Kong spills secrets to Mulan's maids. We will chat in the next podcast episode what the consequence of this is for Minglan and Gu Tingye. Before we end the recap and head on with some Chinese history, I just want to briefly raise the fact that the illegal departure of Gu Tingye and Changbai from their posts did not go unnoticed. Word traveled to the emperor and empress. The emperor is furious. However, Notice that the Empress doesn't say much, but reminds the Emperor to not be too angry or else he'll get a migraine. It is only then that the Emperor says, Oh yes, my head hurts. Hmm, 
That's odd, right? To have to be reminded that your head hurts? The emperor is also watching carefully when the eunuch who brought the news of Gu Tingye's actions to the emperor leaves without a trace of a headache on his facial features. Okay, that was it for the episode recap. Let's move on to some Chinese history or culture. And there is a couple of items we want to discuss. First is the idiom shou shu liang duan. This idiom means a rat who, when faced with two choices, is indecisive and keeps backing in and out. As you can probably tell, it's a pretty derogatory idiom when used to describe a person who is very indecisive and uh, always checking behind themselves to make sure they made the right choice. Ming Lan, though, uses this idiom straight to her father's face when she frankly rips him to shreds on the type of man he is. It's impressive because this is very disrespectful to say to someone to their face, let alone someone's father. The idiom first uh, appeared in Shuji, or records of the Grand Historian, completed around 91 BC by the historian Sima Tian. The idiom appears in the chronicles of the Marquis of Weiqi and the Marquis of Wu'an. The chronicle recounts the political battles and stories between the Marquis of Weiqi, the guy named Dou Ying, and the Marquis of Wu'an, or Tianfen, and another official, Guan Fu. The Marquis of Wu'an, or Tianfen, plotted to kill both Dou Ying and Guan Fu. One day, the Marquis of Wuan or Tianfen wanted to have another official, Han Guan, ride with him. This Han Guan was mad that the Marquis still hadn't made a decision on when to act and called him Shou Shu Liang Duan, which is where the idiom came from. Ultimately, this Marquis was successful and deposed of his enemies, but <laughs> he died after constant nightmares believing that Dou Ying and Guan Fu's ghosts would come back to haunt him. Interestingly, all of these characters uh, were alive during the reign of Han Wu Di, someone we've talked about quite often in this podcast series. Next, I want to talk about Chi Kong. In the drama, Mistress Lin's former maid, Xue Yi, is in a rather destitute state, as we discussed. When Aunt Kong shuns the food she brings and tosses it on the floor, Xue Yi scoops up the food and eats it. She warns Aunt Kong that when she's in the palace prison, she won't be able to eat rice. She'll only be able to eat Kong. And that's what uh, Xue Yi is eating right now, rice. The YouTube translation says it's candies, but that's not quite right. Chi Kong means to eat bran, or basically the outer layers of cereal grain. According to Bai Ke, Kong was really only eaten during times of famine, and today people don't really eat it anymore because of its coarseness. Now, there's an idiom that's used called Chi Kong Yan Cai, which translates to eat bran, swallow wild vegetables. This is usually used to describe someone who is in a destitute or very poor state and cannot buy anything better to eat. Or if, like I said, the person is in famine um, or in a situation of famine and cannot find anything better. Interestingly, the idiom is used pretty often, even in this drama. But by doing a little bit of a quick spot check, it seems as though the idiom was only created in the 20th century. 
I'm kind of skeptical about this, but that's what it says on Baiku, uh, the Chinese equivalent of Wikipedia. And I couldn't really find any other instances of historical records for Chi Kang Yan Cai. Chi Kang, or Kang, of course, has shown up many times throughout history, but the idiom seems to be more recent, which, again, I'm kind of skeptical of. All right, the next piece is Wu Lin Chun. So this is a poem or song that was mentioned by Xiao Tao. Apparently, the prostitute Wei Hangshou composed this piece in the drama and created quite a stir with her talent in the capital. Wu Lin Chuan is a Cipai Ming, which is the name of a poetry form. Based on my research, it was first created by the northern song poet Mao Pong. The main structure includes 48 words and four verses and has different accents, which is what is used to differentiate the different types of styles. Many different poets then wrote poems using this structure. One famous example is Wu Lin Chuan, Feng Zhu Chen Xiang, Chun Yi Jin. This was written by none other than Li Qingzhao, the female author who also wrote the poem that this drama is named after, or Zhi Fo Zhi Fo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. Li Qingzhao wrote this poem uh, that we mentioned earlier, Wu Lin Chuan, Feng Zhu Chen Xiang, Chun Yi Jin in 1135 after fleeing from the Jurchens. She was already 52 at the time and wrote the following poem during a time of despair. And the poem from what is written, it's very evident that it is someone who is more mature and definitely has a lot of despair come through in the, in the wording. So the poem goes like this. Feng Zhu Chen Xiang Hua Yi Jin 日晚卷书头，物是人非，世事休。欲语泪先流，闻说双溪春上好，言你泛轻舟，只恐双溪则猛舟，载不动许多愁。So my translation goes as this: The wind has stopped and the flowers fell from the tree branches. Only the ground still has a faint aroma of the flowers. I raise my head to see the sun ahead, but I have no desire to get dressed. Time has passed and everything changed. Tears fall down my cheeks when I reminisce of past events. Rumor has it that the spring leaves near the double creek is good. I'll row my boat to clear my head. I worry that this small boat will not be able to carry my heavy heart. This poem was also only referenced in passing, but since we haven't really talked about a poem in a long time, we thought we would talk about it uh, in more detail in this podcast episode. Next up, or lastly, let us talk about the palace prison that is mentioned, or Yu. There really isn't a historical equivalent during the Song Dynasty. But we did mention Shen Xing Si, which was rather prevalent in the Qing dynasty. The term Nei Yu is just a replacement for the fictional Shen Xing Si that was mentioned in the book. Now, Shen Xing Si in the book is described as a prison to punish women of officials and the aristocracy to hard labor for crimes they have committed. The place is pretty hush-hush, but is a known secret. 
Essentially, if a family wants to punish a woman but not shame the entire clan, they would send the woman here. Family is only allowed to visit once or twice a year, and the women there are essentially left to do work there for the rest of their sentence or essentially the rest of their lives. Cruel, yes, but for a woman like Aunt Kang, probably fair. So, Neyu is the place that Aunt Kang is being sent to after her beating. All right, that covers basically our historical analysis section. Let's go on to the last section, which is book differences. The past couple of episodes were basically pulled directly from the book. And in this episode, we will see that divergence instead. The first piece that I want to discuss is really the relationship between Gu Tingye and Minglan and how it differs from the book. In the drama, Gu Tingye comes back to quote-unquote rescue Minglan and once again gets kind of bitter, or I wouldn't say bitter, but just kind of exasperated that Minglan didn't think of summoning him for help. To be honest, I think I've already said this a couple episodes back. I am over <laughs> Gu Tingye's hang-up on this. I really don't like how long Gu Tingye has been having an issue about his wife's love for him. As a warning, I will spoil quite a bit of the book where it diverges from the drama, so please skip to the next book difference section. I'll post it on the uh, show notes. Gu Tingye and Minglan have the same discussion about why Grandma Sheng acted the way she did towards Madame Wang, which led to these events in the book. It's because Grandma Sheng loves Minglan dearly and acted without thought of her own well-being to protect Minglan. So this part is similar to the drama. Now here's where it differs. Gu Tingye saw how Minglan reacted to Grandma Sheng's poisoning. Minglan cast away her disguise as the meek and rather calculating woman, and she turned into this fierce warrior who, quite frankly, acted kind of rashly. But she ultimately got the job done. Minglan, if we recall in the past episodes, constantly rebutted elders and captured the culprit and ordered servants to be tortured. This is not like the Minglan that Sheng Hong has ever seen, and Gu Tingye has only really seen glimpses of this. In the book, Minglan tells Gu Tingye that truly loving someone is when you throw away all pretenses and only think of that person. Minglan never saw this from Gu Tingye. At this point in the book, Minglan already gave birth to a son. During her birth, Man Yang came and tried to kill Minglan. Gu Tingye returns just in time and swiftly banishes Man Yang. Minglan, though, asks him, When this happened, did you lose control? Did you feel a need for revenge? Gu Tingye couldn't answer because he truthfully didn't. Minglan and Gu Tingye come to an agreement that at that point, they didn't love each other and vow to move forward with their lives. In the drama, all I see is Gu Tingye constantly asking whether Minglan loves him, but what has he done to truly merit her love? Did he do anything rash like what Grandma Sheng did for Minglan? I don't think so. Hence why I've already said many times already, I'm tired of the storyline because I'm pretty irked with Gu Tingye on this. You say you love Minglan, but what have you really done to truly deserve that love? Once Milan sees that, maybe she'll love you. And again, we're just talking about what happened in the book. 
Um, the events very much differ from the drama. Uh, in the next episode, we will see what Gu Tingye does. But the fact that the drama decides to actually cut this conversation out, in my mind, does affect the rest of the series. Okay, now just on to some regular book differences. The book covers a lot more of the aftermath of Changbai's decision to banish his mother for 10 years. He has a frank conversation with his maternal grandmother and uncle, so the Wong side of the family. Aunt Kong is the rotten apple that will spoil the rest of the Wong family. Once Changbai analyzes the benefits and costs of keeping Aunt Kong around, Grandma Wong finally agrees to send her daughter to the palace prison, or Neiyu. They cut this out from the drama, and you'll see that the Wong family in the drama does not let this punishment of Aunt Kong go lightly, meaning they're rather furious with the Sheng family. The conversation between Minglan and Sheng Hong discussing the Kang family and Minglan's final analysis of her father is also quite different in the book. In the book, Changbai is the one who analyzes Uncle Kang's motives for sending his wife to the prison palace instead of divorcing her. Because it was Changbai discussing this with Sheng Hong, Minglan doesn't have that rather cutting conversation with her father. Something that we do need to be reminded of is that Minglan in the book is someone who time traveled to the past. So she is actually a woman in, from the present. She has little to no recollection of her birth mother and didn't have any expectations of her father. For book Minglan, she's quite happy with her father. Sure, he has all the faults that Minglan mentioned in the drama, but she wasn't expecting anything. Sheng Hong actually exceeded her expectations as a father because he, quite frankly, provided a relatively steady home for his children and treated them well enough. Now, from here on out, the drama will diverge dramatically from the book. In the book, Minglan doesn't really care about Wei Hangzhou. Dan Zhu was married off much earlier, and Mulan plays little to no part in the rest of the book, so she definitely isn't stirring up trouble with Aunt Kong. All the conversations that Mulan has with her father and her brother are basically expanded in the drama. So Mulan does not understand or learn about the whereabouts of Aunt Kong and definitely does not help her escape. Aunt Kong in the book is sentenced to the palace prison and that is basically the last we hear of her. Well, with her Aunt Kong's escape, we will definitely see more of her <laughs> later in the drama. I'll be quite honest, I don't particularly like Mulan's involvement with Aunt Kong, but I guess Mulan needed to be added back to the story somehow, so uh, we'll get sort of the evil characters all in a room uh, in pretty short order. All right, well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for a platform to watch Chinese dramas and you are in the U.S., take a look at our sponsor, Jubao TV where you can stream Chinese dramas and movies online through their streaming platform, Zumo or XUMO, or else on TV via Xfinity and Cox Contour. The shows and movies are all free and they have English subtitles as well. The music you hear today is the piece Lan by Bingjiu Wo Niu Jun and played by Karen. We will catch you all in the next episode.